take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark and the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to talk about recognizing real religion. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago when Lane was playing Blessed Assurance how God uh, has an odd sense of timing and how he works. Uh, that, again, I was uh, singing that as uh, I was mowing yesterday. And then this morning, uh, as uh, I got up and I was checking uh, my messages and looking at, uh, at those, uh, uh, the first thing that uh, I pulled up uh, was a, uh, that came up was a, a thing, a little saying that said religion is a good place for men to hide out. Religion is a good place for men to hide. Uh, I forgot who to get, I give credit for it, but uh, I'm surprised I even remember the quote. Um, and uh, but religion is a good place for men to hide. That was the issue largely in Jesus' day. We had a, there were a lot of people hiding in religion. They were using religion as a, uh, as a mask. They were using religion as a cloak. They were using religion uh, as, a, uh, as a tool. They were using religion as a weapon. Uh, they were using religion. Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, uh, most all of them, the priests. Uh, again, we, have, we know from uh, the ministry of Christ as he goes in and cleanses the temple. We know, uh, again, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, were the ones who uh, decided to turn on Christ and wanted him uh, crucified, who fought him, uh, came against him, plotted against him during his uh, whole earthly ministry. Uh, and they were hiding out in religion. That they were using religion as a uh, as a cover uh, for all of their other uh, activities. They were using religion as a way to get rich. Uh, they were using religion as a way uh, to have authority and power uh, over uh, over uh, over the people. Uh, they were using religion uh, to gain greater position. Uh, all those things. They were hiding uh, in religion. And uh, so the question comes uh, that this passage deals with, I believe, uh, is, uh, well, how do we recognize then real religion? We live, I know that most of you would uh, probably agree uh, that we live in a very uh, wicked time. Uh, there is a lot of immorality and a lot of sin that is uh, very prevalent in our society today. Uh, sin of, uh, of the magnitude and, and sin, sin of the quantity and quality that you and I would have never imagined even just a few years ago. Uh, there are things that happen in public, on television. Uh, there are things that are bragged about. Uh, there are things that are uplifted and uphold, uh, upheld in our society that just a few years ago uh, wouldn't even have happened behind closed doors. And yet today they are magnified and glorified and the people who do them are recognized and honored 
and don't you dare uh, say anything uh, about their lifestyle or their decisions. On the other hand, that being said, we live in a very religious time. Go home today and Google religion and look at the results you will get. There are religions of all forms and fashions uh, all around us. If you want to worship it, there is probably a religion that you can join and become part of and worship it. If you want to worship trees, if you want to worship the sun, if you want to worship clouds, if you want to worship uh, the ocean, if you want to worship Satan, you can find that place. They are, uh, they are out there. There are a number of religions. How do we recognize true religion? And that's what we see as Jesus interacts here uh, with these, uh, these people around him. Beginning in verse uh, 1, we're going to see some of the characteristics of true religion, uh, of true real religion. Notice uh, verse 1 says, He entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Real religion recognizes needs. Real religion recognizes needs. Notice the difference in the attention here between Jesus and, uh, and the they that are mentioned in verse 1. I always get a little bit anxious when somebody comes to me and says, they are saying it. Yeah, I always, I, I will warn you ahead of time that if you come to me and say, they are saying, I'm going to ask you, you and who else? Because that's usually who they are. They in this situation are watching Jesus to see what he's going to do about this man with the paralyzed, the, uh, the crippled, the, the withered hand, as the King James Version calls it. Uh, it was a paralyzed hand. He had a hand uh, that was uh, of no real value to him. He could not use that hand. And Jesus sees the man with the paralyzed hand, yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders here, see the man with the withered hand, but they don't see the need of the man with the withered hand. They see an opportunity that depending on how Jesus interacts with this man with the withered hand, they will have more ammunition. They will have more words to say. They will be able to come against Christ uh, for healing this man. Uh, the Sabbath was, you probably already noticed this in just the first two chapters of Mark. You will notice it if you read uh, the other three Gospels as well. One of the major issues that, uh, that religion had with Jesus uh, throughout his earthly ministry was this issue of the Sabbath. What will Jesus do on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Whether he, uh, and numerous times we have, uh, we see that be the problem. He healed someone on the Sabbath 
and the religious leaders get angry uh, about this, uh, this happening. This man uh, was a disabled man in need of love and compassion. This man, even if he was not healed, this man needed love and compassion. This man needed someone to care for him. Can I remind you, we're talking about ancient days when there weren't the type government programs and assistance programs that we have in our world today. We had a whole different mindset uh, of those who were handicapped or those uh, who had an issue such as this. They were looked at as they must have committed some grave sin. God must be angry at this person for them to have uh, a bad hand or to be crippled or to be blind or whatever their infirmment was. They, they were looked at as an outcast uh, from society. They were looked at as an outcast from God. This man, even if no one heals his hand, he, even if the Pharisees are unable to do anything about his physical condition, this man needs someone to love him. This man needs someone to show him compassion. They may not be able to heal him, but they can open his peanut butter jar for him. They can go to his home and make sure that he can reach things and get the things that he needed. They can make sure that he has food because, again, getting a job, working in that condition in that time would have been difficult. They may not could have healed him, but they could see clearly there was a need. They knew this man had need of at least love and compassion. But the only thing they saw was an opportunity to come against Jesus Christ. The only thing they could see was maybe, just maybe, He will do something. He will violate our law in such a way that we can accuse Him and we can arrest Him and we can silence Him. They didn't see the man in his need. I want you to understand clearly this morning, true religion God-given religion, a God-given change of heart sees and recognizes the needs of those around them. Not an amen in the house. I'll say it again. God-given religion sees and recognizes the needs of the people around them. God-given religion can't step over the broken and the hurting and the hungry. I can't feed every hungry person in Cabarrus County. I can't clothe every homeless person in New York. But I got coats I don't need. I got coats that for some reason just hanging in the closet have shrunk. I thought surely I'd get an amen there. God given religion.
sees the needs and the hurts of others. See, I, there was a church sign 30 years ago in Canapolis that I saw that I have never forgotten, and I hope I never do. I quote it to you quite often, in fact. I know I have. It said, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Real religion recognizes needs. They didn't care one iota about this handicapped man. They could care less that he had a hand that he couldn't use. They could care less that he had trouble motivating. They had to care less that he probably had little to no income. Didn't matter. Do we see people with needs? as burdens? Do we see people with needs as trouble? And, and, and I know as well as you do. If Carol was here and she wasn't on vacation, she will tell you that in, in 28 years, I've probably turned away more people than I have helped who have came to our doors looking for help. Because many times I did a few phone calls and made a little investigation and just to point, put it point blank, they were lying through their teeth. They didn't need help. They didn't want to work. They'd asked everybody in town for help and this was their second or third go-round. I know that. I'm not telling you to give away everything to everybody. Do your due diligence. Make sure that they are in true need. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I promise you, if you're coming out of a restaurant and somebody is hungry, if you're in the restaurant and somebody is hungry, and you buy their meal, you won't miss that $10. You'd have probably wasted it anyway. God-given religion recognizes needs. Second thing God-given religion does is it responds to direction. Look in verse 3. And he said to the man which had the withered hand, Stand up. Stand forth. Get up. The words stand forth. It's probably not a phrase you have probably, maybe even if you were in the military, never had anybody look at you and go, Stand forth. That is, that is, if there's ever been a King James English statement, that's it. Stand forth. Sounds like something you'd read in Shakespeare, doesn't it? Stand forth. Forth. Yeah. That, that's, you know, it's not a phrase we would use. But it actually, again, means, the word when he says stand forth, means to rise up and stand in the midst. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. But in all likelihood, considering the circumstances, considering the culture, this man with the withered hand was most likely in the furthest, darkest corner he could get in. He'd been ridiculed. He'd been laughed. We already see how the Pharisees' attitude toward him, what it was. They didn't care about him. So in all likelihood, this man was as far 
away from the action as far out of the limelight as he could possibly get. And Jesus says to him, Hey, come down here. It'd be the equivalent of me saying to Caleb sitting back there in the back, asleep, I think, if I'm looking at him right. Hey, Caleb, come stand right here. Stand forth. I want you to come right here in the middle of this crowd. I want everybody to see you. If I was to do that to Angel or Janice, there's a couple other people in here, Miranda, if I was to do that to them, they would run people over getting to that door instead of up here. Yeah. There's a couple of you, if I would do that to you, you'd run, and you'd be like, the price is right. Yeah, you'd love to be up front. This man was one of those who would run for the door. He's been ridiculed, he's been laughed at most, if not all, of his life. And Jesus says to him, come down front. Come down front. This man had to want help bad enough to be obedient to what Jesus said. He had to be willing to come forward. Real religion responds to direction. It is obedient to what God says. Do not try to convince us how much you love God if you are not obedient to His Word. Don't try to convince us of how much. Don't stand up and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you will love His Word, you will love His will, and you will be obedient to both of them. Real religion, true religion, responds to the Word, to the direction of Jesus Christ. By standing up from that corner and walking into the midst of those people, He was confessing that I have faith in this man. I don't know what he wants. I don't know. Jesus didn't say stand forth and be healed. He said stand forth. See, if he would have said stand forth and be healed, I can only imagine the man running to the front. For all this man knows, this stranger is calling him up front to crack a few more jokes about him. To make fun of him. But something in his heart, something in his spirit, meshed with this stranger who came into the synagogue and said, Hey, come down front. And he was obedient. Real religion is obedient to the direction, the commands of his written word, of his will. It is obedient. We move on. Real religion. In verse 4. He said unto them, 
after the man comes to the front, he turns to his, let's just call them what they are. I was going to call them the audience, but I'm going to call them, he turns to his enemies. And he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they held their peace. The problem that they had was that Jesus was once again breaking one of their traditions. But real religion, God help us in the Baptist church, but I'm going to say it. Real religion rejects tradition. Oh, we ain't got hymnals out here, so you can't throw the hymnals. Cool. Um, real religion rejects tradition. Now, real religion doesn't reject tradition for the sake of rejecting tradition. All tradition is not bad. But some tradition needs to go. It's interesting how we are about tradition. If you want to go back, you know, it's amazing to me how, how folks like tradition. We want to go back, well, what, why are we changing that? Why are we doing that? For the same reason we got rid of a post to tie the horse up on out front of the church. Any of y'all old enough to have went to church with funeral home fans? Don't sit there like you're not that old. I know how old most of you are. Your birthday's in the church computer. You like tradition so good, we'll cut off the air conditioning and get you a few home things. There's some tradition got to go. I'm telling you right now, the person that makes the motion to cut off the air conditioning and get a pack of funeral home fans, we're going to fight. I'm just going to tell you. I might be the pastor and I love it. We're going to fight because fat people don't like hot. Some tradition isn't working. Some's worth fighting for. I understand the difference. But if we've got a tradition that would, we would hold that tradition so high that we let our paralyzed friend and neighbor go home paralyzed instead of well, that's a tradition that can probably be kicked to the curb. Does the tradition serve us or do we serve the tradition? That's a question that the church as a whole has to wrestle with. Do we serve the tradition or does the tradition serve us? Again, he was breaking their law. Thousands were flocking to Jesus for help. Thousands were flocking to Jesus for, for healing. And every time he broke one of their little traditions, every time he broke one of their sacred beliefs, Jesus was teaching people to them that the traditions that they had held over their heads. I shared with you last week the 39 categories 
They only were allowed to walk roughly the length of a football field on the Sabbath. If you ripped the seat of your britches on the Sabbath, you just walked around bearing all to glory, I guess. Because it was illegal to sow on the Sabbath. If you wanted a biscuit with lunch, you're out of luck. You couldn't need dough on the Sabbath. Was the tradition serving them or were they serving the tradition? Real religion is more concerned about the needs than it is the tradition. Real religion, God-honoring, God-fearing religion. Wild example. You see your neighbor out in the yard struggling with a flat tire on their car. But it's Sunday. Now we'll have to wait till Monday to fix that tire. Which would honor God more? Oh, let me back up. Your neighbor sees a single mom with a couple kids and she's got to get to work to make some money to feed her kids. And she's got a flat tire on her car. Well, I'd help you, but it's Sunday. We'll have to wait till in the morning. But I'm going to get to work this evening. Now, I'm sorry. Can't help you on Sunday. Which one honors God more? Changing the tire? Helping the single mom? Or waiting till Monday? You can hear a pen hit the floor in here. Real religion rejects tradition and does that which is right in the sight of God. Real religion. Listen. No matter how, listen, the Pharisees had some good rules. Don't get me wrong. They had some good ceremonies. But when they get in the way of doing what God wants done, of doing what is right, of helping our brother and sister, of showing someone the love of God, are we better off showing people the love of God or the law of God? Can't we do both? Because doesn't the law of God tell us to love our neighbor? Now, I'm not telling you to go home and split a cord of wood this afternoon. I think, but Jesus already told us that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's just some of the tradition. Jesus says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? Well, obviously it would be better to do good than evil. Well, then Jesus could do good by healing the man. If he didn't do good, if he didn't heal the man, he'd be withholding good and doing evil, right? 
if this man is crippled and I have the ability to heal him and I don't just because of what David is, is that good or evil? That's evil. So Jesus said, should I do good or should I do evil? Should I break tradition and do good or should I honor tradition and do evil? Second, he says, is it okay to save a lot or to kill? Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted to, not just with his hand, but with this man's life. Which should he do? Should he do the good thing or the evil thing? Should he break tradition or follow tradition? Real religion doesn't get so caught up. And notice the religious crowd that was gathered around him, they say nothing. They don't say anything because they know that their mind is just closed and they refuse to think otherwise. Real religion rejects tradition and follows and is obedient to God. Real religion rebukes sin. We go on in the end of this verse. He says, when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Jesus was angry. By healing this man, he was in effect rebuking their sin. It's obvious. Jesus, it says here, he was gripped. Is what literally gripped with anger is what this passage means. Jesus was furious at this religious crowd that had walked in and out day after day after day. They had seen this, this crippled man. They had known him. Many of them probably grew up with him. They probably went to school with him. They're his neighbor. They, they've been to synagogue with him. And they don't care. Real religion. And let me say something about the word that is used there for anger. That anger, now, all of us in here, I don't have to define anger for you. Some of you better than others. But the word that is used for anger here also includes it is an anger with grief. You ever had an anger with grief? Does that word make sense to say that? Anger with grief? You see someone, for example, you, you turn on the news and you see someone has mistreated a child. Makes you angry, but at the same time you're grieved. Right? Does that make sense? Only two choices. Angry with grief. Jesus wasn't just ready to punch them in the mouth. He was angry about what they were doing and brokenhearted that they did it. That that was the religious leader's attitude. He was upset, he says, because of the hardness of their hearts. 
I'm not going to dwell long here, but I am going to ask you this. What is your attitude? What is your opinion of sin? It's that easy to get angry about sin. I, I give you an example right here that many of you are probably familiar with that um, it, it, it seems like practically every day, at least once a day, it seems like it pops up on my phone that somebody else has been shot and killed in Charlotte. Like almost every day. Many times it has been children, teenagers, that were shot, that were killed. On several occasions, it's been teenagers doing the shooting. How about you? Makes me angry. Make you angry? Takes me off. The kids, I get upset because I love, you know, bothers me like probably many of you. I grew up, you know, from the, from this time of year during the summer when school was out, from pretty much the time the sun come up to way after the sun set. You didn't see me. I was gone. I was fishing. I was, I was somewhere. I wasn't at home. I was gone. I was on my bike. I was somewhere playing ball. I was somewhere doing something. Now, how many of you have rode around and made that say, don't have see kids out the yard playing no more? Well, gracious, it ain't safe. They get shot on their swing set. Makes me angry. I told y'all the other day, I heard somebody they talking about something about something that happened at school. Thank God I'm free, free. <laughs> I'm done with the public school system. I got grandkids. Worries me. Upsets me the world they're going to grow up in. Oh, it's easy to get angry at sin. But do we get angry with grief? That's real religion. That's God-given. When we see sin, it should upset us. It should anger us. This has nothing to do with what I was talking about, but I was going to mention abortion ought to upset us. Thank God, let me report to you, one of the largest, oldest abortion clinics in America shut down this week. Right in the middle of Brooklyn, New York. Shut down. Shut it up. Gone. As much as that makes us happy, the fact that they're still the largest in the southeast, 15 minutes from here, ought to make us mad, and it ought to grieve us. And we ought to rebuke sin. We ought to stand against sin. Real religion restores the broken. He said to the man, after he called him up, and he looked at the religion, stretch forth your hand, and he stretched it out. He told him to come forward, he came forward. He told him to give me your hand, he gave him his hand. And his hand was returned whole as the other. True religion doesn't just say, somebody ought to do something about that crippled man in the corner. True religion does something about that crippled man in the corner. 
True religion doesn't just look at the news and say somebody needs to do something. True religion doesn't just look at our world and say those people need Jesus. True religion goes and tells them about Jesus. True religion speaks and acts. The Pharisees, they saw that crippled man for years. They'd never done a thing. Stretch forth your hand. And immediately it says, his hand. True religion doesn't hesitate, doesn't pause to minister. True religion doesn't hesitate to love and to show service. There's a person sitting in this room, and I'm not going to call their name because I don't want to embarrass them. And and more than embarrass them, I know how they are, and they don't want anybody patting them on the back for the things they do. But but I've watched them over the years, and I've seen them buy total strangers food. I've seen them give away, you know, just give away money here, there, help this person, help that person. They didn't say that this is. I've watched them, and the kind of person when somebody says, "Hey, I got so and so going on. Will you pray for me?" They say, "Yeah, let's pray." They don't say, "I will pray for you." They pray for you. True religion. It it restores the broken. Doesn't just see the broken, pick out the broken, point to the broken, tell somebody else to do something about the broken. Real religion, God-given religion, restores the broken. It takes action. Real religion reacts to conviction. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. See, they reacted. You're going to react in some way or another to true religion. You're going to reject it or you're going to embrace it. You're going to reject it or you're going to embrace it. Jesus confronted them right there in front of him. This man, from all indications, was a man from time. From everything we can tell from the passage, he was not a stranger. This was not his first day at the synagogue. He was a man who everybody there was familiar with. They knew, now let's be honest, sometimes you and I, we see healers on television and we think they're staged. There's no way for me to clean that up. That's just, we see it and we don't believe it. These people knew this man was great. Had been his whole life. And they saw his hand made new. I don't know why I'm assuming he was right now. Now he'd been left and he could use it right. They saw it right there. Wouldn't you think that whatever objections, whatever preconceived notions they brought in when they saw this man that they knew was crippled, healed in front of the very... This wasn't something somebody told them about. This wasn't something they heard about. They saw it with their very own eyes. I mean, have you heard seeing is believing? 
Obviously not always. And they chose to reject Jesus even more. They chose to oppose him. They actually are so angered by this that the Herodians and the Pharisees, I don't have time to go down this road, they were enemies. They didn't like each other. They had totally different philosophies. They were completely different. But they put aside their hatred for the Herodians for their hatred for Jesus. Real religion reacts to conviction. When the Holy Spirit grips our hearts, we respond. If you do this job long enough, I'm not a mind reader. I barely know what my own mind says half the time. But if you do this long enough, you get a little bit of a sense about things. And I can't tell you how many times I've stood at the doorway after a service, shaking people's hands, stood here in the pulpit and watched, and you can see conviction on someone's face. You've heard the proverbial story about people holding on to the pew, hanging on. You see it. And they walk out the door and reject that conviction. Real religion responds to conviction. The story from the Gospel of Mark should challenge us just like it challenged those that witnessed it centuries ago. It reminds us that real religion goes beyond ritual. Real religion goes beyond legalism. Folks, I could train a monkey to come to church every, every week. I've seen them at the fair and at the carnival. They can train a chicken to play the piano. I'm not making light of playing the piano, please, because I can't even... I know where middle C is. That's about it. Yeah. I have to think about that. I please don't think I'm... I'm just saying, you don't have to do much to be religious. You don't have to strain to be in church. But real religion goes beyond that. It causes us to make a priority out of love and of mercy and compassion and sharing the gospel, even if it means stepping outside of our comfort zone. Even if it means stepping outside of what we've always done. May God give us the courage to step outside of the norm, to step outside of the traditional definition of religion, and see the cripples all around us, see the people with the bad hand, see the people who need to hear the gospel and be broken and burdened by that. To see sin and be beyond anger but to be grieved. 
Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he wept. Does the five o'clock news make you weep? Does the five o'clock news break your heart? It should. Let's get out of tradition. Begin to live like Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Father, I pray today that you'll take the message of these six verses. God, you'll open our eyes to those with withered hands and withered hearts that are all around us. God, that we would see their need. And God, realize that we have the answer they're starving for. God, I pray today that you will convict believers that they come to this altar and fall on their face Say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my heart. God, if there's one today here that doesn't know Christ, one that's joining us online that doesn't know Jesus, God, I pray that you will stir him. God, that you'll see that just like that man with a withered hand, that your son wants to cure their withered heart. That he wants to save their soul. God, to take a note of that, the assurance of salvation. God, to take a note of that, that if they die, they'll join you for eternity. God, I pray that you deal with their hearts. If you'll have your way here this morning, we'll give you honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life, my Lord, my glory, my all. Wonderful Master, enjoy and enjoy, on Him you do me go. Jesus is
your attention. Uh, enjoy your Father's Day today. Um, our, uh, Father, be sure to take your family and children out for lunch. I can tell you from years, Kay and Blake. Give you one example of my goodness to me here at the state house that used to be up here on top of the hill. On Mother's Day weekend, that Texas toast that they buttered up and served with the steak, we had to pile that all over their back room. We had a rack full and we laid it away. Because it's going to be that busy on Mother's Day. On Father's Day, it was a normal weekend. <laughs> All right, I told you before about long because I don't guess that's true anymore if everybody got long distance plans. But um, just as many long distance calls on Father's Day as Mother's Day, they just make correct. So um, enjoy your Father's Day today. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning, uh, down in your house. I pray that you take your word. Uh, we'll follow the example of Jesus. Now, we'll be more concerned about the man with the withered hand the way all our traditions and our rules and the way we've always done it. We give you honor for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.